0: Okay. Well, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see so many people in the shrine room again. Um, I'm really happy to be doing this tonight, to be introducing Artapriya and uh, welcome, welcoming him and inaugurating him as as our president. Uh, I think we've been. I think Manchester has been with our president for well, a few years now. Um, our last president, I believe, was Sona. Um, and yeah, well, here's our new president to be, Arta Priya. Um, what I'd like to do just before I set, just say a little bit about Artapriya. I'm not going to rejoice in his merits, I'm just going to say a little bit about introduce him uh, in a minimal sort of way, because some others are going to rejoice in him. I'd just like to tell you what we're going to do this evening, just to give you a bit of an idea of how, how the evening is going to pan out. So I'd say I'm going to say a little bit about Arta Priya and my connection with him. And then I'm going to say a little bit about what is, what is a president. Why, why might we want a president uh, for the MBC? Uh, most most centres, I think now, uh, or increasingly centres, do have presidents. Uh, and we're just about to have one again. So I'm going to say a little bit about that. Then uh, Vajramudita and Arta Ketu are going to rejoice in Artapri's merits. And then Arta Priya is going to tell us something about himself um, for about half an hour-ish, <laughs> sort of something like that. Um, so we get to learn a little bit about Arta Priya. So I'm not going to say too much about Arta Priya. <clears throat> we'll have a little break after that, just stretch our legs, and then, and then we'll have the ritual, which will be in the context of a sevenfold puja in which we will inaugurate Arta Priya. And I'll say a little bit more about that um, after, after the break. So just to introduce Arta Priya, here he is on the throne, the presidential throne. Um, I've known Arta Priya for, well, ever since I started coming along to the centre, so that must have been about 1995, Um, and I first met Arta Priya uh, when I was invited to dinner at the community where he lived, which was in Chilton at the time, and I remember it uh, walking in and, and he was there sort of uh, at the table and I think it was fairly obvious actually you were one of the more senior order members sort of there, I, didn't know. I don't think I knew who you were uh, but it's fairly obvious and I can remember, I can remember it very clearly, we had, uh, it was potato and onion pie we had <laughs> for dinner. Uh, anyway, it was a long time ago but I do remember the potato and onion pie. Uh, Arta Priya, as I think most of you know, is a, uh, a former chairman of, of this centre and former Mitra convener. is that for women and men? For, yeah, for women and men um, and currently uh, well he's done a few things since then he is a private preceptor he's my private preceptor he's a public preceptor um, he empties box, empties vans at Windhorse that's your day job isn't it uh, currently Mitra convener at Windhorse um, I'm sure you've got a few other hats but maybe you'll tell us about them uh, a little bit later on this evening. Uh, so, yeah, well, personally, I, I'm just overjoyed that you are going to be our president. And I'll perhaps say a little bit more about that as well. So, what is what is a president? Well, I made a few notes here. I didn't look it up anywhere. This is uh, this is my idea of what a president is. Arthur Priya said to me yesterday. Well, you know, he said to somebody, "Well, Arthur, Arthur, uh, Arthur going to tell me what a president is tomorrow." So, this is it, okay? <laughs> This is your opportunity to find out what you're here for. Um, Okay, well, my idea of a president of a centre is somebody who has spiritual weight and authority, someone that's respected in the sangha, uh, who has a connection with and a concern for this particular sangha, the Manchester Buddhist Centre, but not a part of it. So you're sort of connected but separate. That's, and I think it's really important. That is one of the principles of being a president, that they, they are connected closely with the centre, but they are separate from it. So Arthur doesn't live here. He lives down in Cambridge quite a way, really. Um, the president has obje- objectivity. Uh, so looking in from a distance has objectivity. He's someone who provides a listening ear. And I think personally you're going to be, I hope, someone who's, who's going to act as you already have uh, a sounding board. Um, which is which is quite important for me personally, but also I think if, uh, one of the key elements of being a president is that you offer um, a check and balance to actually what happens here, so you, because you 're separate because you 're away you you can see from a distance, and because you have some spiritual weight and authority, you can give some guidance um, and maybe you know. Help us correct our way if we start to stray off the path. It's not going to happen. But just, sort of, uh, 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 <laughs> but it's good to know you're there just in case. But most importantly, um, a president is a mentor and a friend to this sangha, and that is why when I when I um, uh, when the trustees uh, asked me to be the Chairman, uh, one of the first things on my list was um, to think about getting a president and the first person that came to mind was Artipria. and The reason Artipria was the first person to come to mind isn 't just because he is my private preceptor um, it 's because you exemplify friendship and that 's what you 're known for and that 's what I want <sighs> primarily from you as, as a as a President. And it's not just friendship for me, it's friendship for everybody here. Um, uh, Offering Kalyana Mitrata to this sangha. I think that's how I see your primary role as president. And already, you've, you know, we've had some conversations. And you've agreed to do that, effectively. You've agreed you're going to be here throughout the rainy season. And you're going to come here again in November. It's November, isn't it? You're coming. Um, And, yeah, and maybe you'll come other times as well. But you, you know, you're not just a friend when you're here. You're a friend all the time. So, I, I imagine Artpri doesn't want to be deluged with emails and telephone calls. But he is a friend. And if this is what I'm saying to the sangha, if you have concerns, you know, um, about what's going on here, or you're not happy about what's going on here, or if you want to rejoice in what's going on here, but you don't want to do it to me or to anyone on, in the harp call or the centre team or the trustees, then Artpri is the man to go to. Uh, you know, if there's a sense of something you really want to talk about you don't feel you can talk about in this centre with the people here this is the man uh, you need to talk to but as I say he's here primarily because he's a friend, a friend to all of us and that's what I see the primary role of a president being a friend and a mentor to this sangha so later, a little bit later on when we, uh, when we do the um, the, the ritual. I'm going to present Arta Priya with this. And I'd like to explain it now rather than later. Um, this is the presidential slate. Oh, sorry. <laughs> this this is the presidential slate um, that's going to be presented to Arta a little later on. So this is the, if you like, the sort of um, uh, his symbol of office as president of the Manchester Buddhist Center. So this slate is off the off the roof here. As some of you may know, the roof is falling in at the moment. So, 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 uh, so this slate is off the roof, okay? Now, I don't know how old this slate is. It could be, I don't know, when this, when this building was built, it could be 150-odd years old, this slate, or it could be five years old. I really don't know how old this slate is, but it's off the roof anyway. And it has, it has a particular, it's got a particular symbolism painted on it. It's a, we've got a bowl here, uh, and if you like, a, a begging bowl. Uh, which represents emptiness. Uh, well, it, it rep- represents receptivity and emptiness—the um, emptiness of all conditioned things, of everything. Um, but out of this emptiness, we've got we've got we've got flowers. We've got something coming out that's alive, very much alive, but impermanent, but alive and and blooming. And in a way, you could say this this represents the aspiration for this for this sangha, for this center. This is what we want. We want we want something to happen out of out of the emptiness of that begging bowl. Out of the, you know, something that's receptive and open and giving, something something flowering. And in the in the centre here, I've been told there's a red rose. Oh, there we go. And it's the red rose of Lancashire. So you know, you know, if we, if we if we put Greater Manchester aside, we are actually within Lancashire. Okay, so so, um, so this is this is representative of place really, and aspiration. But also, you can see we've got two, two bees at the top here. And the bees are the symbol of Manchester. Uh, I think it's three bees that uh, are on the shield of Manchester. We've got two bees here. And these bees here, yes, there may be some, there may be a, um, some symbolism around industriousness rep- uh, associated with the bees. But also, the bees live communally. They, they work communally. They work together to build something together. They, they pollinate, the, you know, um, uh, they create a, a hive, um, and honey, something sweet. And in a way, that's, again, the aspiration, uh, or part of the aspiration, I guess, for, for what we're trying to do here, living and working together and creating something together that is sweet and uh, like nectar. So this is, the, this is the presidential slate which we'd like you to take with you. And then at some point in the future, when you, when you decide that your job is done, than to pass this on to, to the next president. But for now, it's staying with Amitabha over here.
1: Well, this is lovely. Um, I, was, I was kind of in equal parts uh, dreading this and <coughs> going to look forward to it as well. Um, I think maybe dreading it a bit because to to talk about, to talk about myself uh, seems a bit self-indulgent, <laughs> Um, but some people here, some people here, go back with me a long way. Some of you are, are new, and I'm newer to you. So it'd probably be good to hear something of my life. Before I do that, I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read something um, I found when I was at Uh I was there in the summer last year for four months leading the ordination course for men and uh, sometimes I would walk up the track the, the retreat centre is up a mountain I'd go for a walk in the morning and uh, occasionally this would happen to me where for no reason I would just feel myself flooded by happiness feel myself quite tearful and um, out of nowhere as if I'd walked into uh, happiness And um, like a free gift. So this, coming across this, um, it's not really a poem. It's a prose piece by a Lithuanian Polish poet. And I need my glasses, I'm afraid. In advanced age, my health worsening, I woke up in the middle of the night and experienced a feeling of happiness so intense and perfect that in all my life I had only felt its premonition. And there was no reason for it. It didn't obliterate consciousness. The past which I carried was there, together with my grief, and it was suddenly included, was a necessary part of the whole. As if a voice were repeating, you can stop worrying now. Everything happened just as it had to. You did what was assigned to you, and you were not required anymore to think of what happened long ago. The peace I felt was a closing of accounts and was connected with the thought of death. The happiness on this side was like an announcement of the other side. I realised that this was an undeserved gift and I could not grasp by what grace it was bestowed upon me. And it's particularly, it's particularly perhaps the last few lines that um, um, he says, I realised it was an undeserved gift and I could not grasp by what grace it was bestowed upon me. And I suppose my Dharma life, my Dharma life feels like that, that uh, I was given the gift of the Dharma by Bhante Sangharachata, and um, the happiness that I feel, and the meaning that I feel in my life through practicing the Dharma seems n- not, um, it seems kind of undeserved in a way, not that I don't deserve it. <laughs> like my My mom might have said, You know, when I was younger, you don't deserve it, you know. Um, But more that it was unearned, unwilled. Um, Just a gift. My life, my Dharma life being a gift. A free gift from my uh, teacher. Um, And this room, this room, this whole center is... Imbued with so many different feelings for me, so many memories for me. This uh, this room was where Bante did the ceremony which opened the centre. Uh, people brought in small gifts, and Bante put the gifts, put the offerings into the rupa. I don't know whether some of you were here for that. And uh, it was packed. The room was kind of packed with uh, people. Um, Guests from all over, our sangha, the media. And uh, we'd been up, I'd been up until five the previous morning, uh, putting uh, hooks on the back of doors. And um, so I got up to say a few words, and uh, I decided to talk about uh, mindfulness, which is perhaps a mistake when you're tired. And uh, (laughs) so I was telling this Zen story about um, a man who left his umbrella on one side of the doorway, and he goes into to see the Zen teacher. And I, I couldn't remember the end of it. <laughs> and it was absolutely mortifying. And uh, a couple of friends shouted answers to me. And I said, no, 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 it's not that. And it was so simple, it was so simple. That the Zen master asked him where he'd left his umbrella, and he couldn't remember. And I was, in a way, illustrating... <laughs> The uh, the ignorance of the the man going into the teaching, and there I was with my teacher and the sangha, <laughs> and um, later I took Bunti upstairs. He was staying upstairs, and I just wanted him to say to me, um, "What a wally you were!" <laughs> you know, but he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything as if it, as if it hadn't happened. So it was a long time coming that opening uh, ceremony, and. Uh, Three, maybe three, four times Banti agreed to come up to open the centre and uh, each time we had to put the date back, something happened. In the end, the IRA, the IRA bombed Manchester and that put the, the opening uh, uh, back a bit. That uh, um, Just days away from the opening of the centre and uh, some of you might have been here when the bomb went off and uh, um, God, it was quite a day that was. It was in this room that Sona, who was our president uh, back then, over in that corner, I remember the fire thing, uh, over in that corner, um, did the first ceremony here at the centre. This is before the, the building work was done at the centre. And it was a Kalyanamitra ceremony. That is a, a ceremony of spiritual friendship. And it seemed, it's always seemed significant to me that the first ceremony we had here was one... Of spiritual friendship. Um, so for me, coming here, coming here, climbing those wooden stairs—God, those stairs! Um, there's a team of women who stripped the uh, the green paint and revealed the wood uh, from those that stairwell. What a job that was! And I remember carrying bags of sand. Uh, maybe 25 kilos were they or more i don't know they seemed more um, we didn't have a lift then we carry them from the basement or the ground floor up the stairs up the stairs round those stairs up to the top of the building where pre and um guna ketu and i think there was another guy involved were sunblasting at night so th- the center was kind of buzzing at that time night and day uh, it was a hive of activity. And then, um, so we'd take the bags of sand up for them, and then in the morning we would shove the sand back in the same bags and we would bring the sand down. And uh, so this went on uh, day after day, uh, week after week. Uh, Priya had this brilliant idea that we would reveal the Cheshire brick in the building. <laughs> um, <laughs> And uh, it's lovely to see it, but it was, uh, it was hard work. And every time I see a, a bare brick here, I kind of remember <laughs> that the men who were sandblasting, there was just one kind of plastic suit. So they would, uh, they would sandblast, and it was, it was like the inferno. The noise was, was terrible. So they would, uh, they would sandbast. you could hardly see anything, and then they would get out of this plastic suit, now saturated with sweat, and the other person would get into it. Uh, mm. and then the, uh, they'd change again, so the the, the, guy, the the guy who'd got out of it the first time would get back into both their sweat, so it was sweaty, it was a sweaty job. Um, so much, uh, so much kind of uh, generosity. So much hard work. the uh, The building, the building was um, was a project. It was a context for spiritual friendship. It was um, it was a real test uh, for our sangha. And um, uh knows well because people people came from work. They changed and they got dirty again. I mean, really dirty. Uh, sometimes you'd be taking a ceiling down and decades of dirt would uh, float down on top of you. So we got, we got kind of dirty together, we got tied together. This is what Sangha should be doing, of course. Uh, sometimes tempers were afraid. And uh, metta, you realise metta is uh, a really, really kind of uh, strong practice. Uh, really a robust practice it's not a gentle thing you're trying to develop you're trying to develop something that will uh uh well anyway help you go beyond your limitations so i mean i'm talking about this i'm talking about the building aren't i uh and you might think when when he's going to talk about it himself but i was so bound up with this particular project and my life if i look at my life uh It's been very, very connected with creating and sustaining contexts for Sangha. And Sangha is a miracle. What we offer the world is uh, community. A community where you can be yourself. You don't need to conform to anything. You can be yourself. Hardest thing in the world probably to be. It's very easy to say that, isn't it? Uh, You can find out who you are. With others finding out who they are, and projects like this, contexts like this, um, help you to do that. It certainly, helped me to do that. I remember we'd gather in Wilbraham Road, and um, on a good evening, a good Sangha evening, there might be as much as thirty pounds in the donor bowl. You know, and uh, thirty pounds was not going to get anywhere here. We need, we needed, uh, we needed not just. Uh, energy and time and sweat. We needed money. We needed a lot of money. And the Sangha, the Sangha were just so generous. Um, For me, it's difficult. It's difficult uh, to say that period, who got got most out of it. Um, So our generosity... Our hard work was kind of drawn out of us. But the benefit of that, the benefit on the sangha of that. And then, one day, after Bhante had opened the centre, all the builders disappeared, men and women who'd been doing things all around the building disappeared, and it became very quiet. Perhaps like a Buddhist centre is supposed to be. I don't know. And... uh, I really miss that, actually. And uh, people coming in after that, it was a, it was a kind of finished product. So, how do you maintain that? How do you, how do you create contexts? You know, for the sangha to go beyond themselves with each other. Friendships are kind of forged uh, in in that situation. You have to, you have to kind of walk on other people's. Eggshells stand on their toes as well as slap them on the back. So the, uh, the building is um, redolent, a new word for me, redolent, <laughs> with uh, kind of meaning, and uh, redolent can also mean a smell. It can mean a fragrance. Uh, it can mean a stench as well. Mm. And um, the building, I think, is, uh, is for me, perfumed by uh, practice by Sangha and Sanger is one of those things uh, I realised this in Cambridge where again I work in a big uh, a big context I work at Windhorse Evolution uh, maybe I'll say something about that now and I, I work with perhaps um, at the big warehouse we have there are probably about 80, 100 people who work there and uh, 18, 15, 18, 20 nationalities uh, work there from all over there are particular strands there there is a there is a uh, an Indian strand there is a mexican the piquancy of the mexican kind of and latin strand there there are there are Slovakians and french and and uh, you you name it there are, there are there are all these nationalities and uh, when you 're working with different cultures it 's quite testing because you uh, you commit no nos without realizing it and uh, so we've got different cultures, we've got different languages, different takes on things, different understandings of what the same thing means. It's a real puzzle for some of the the Latins and the Indians, the, the English uh, indirectness. So you know, I, I might say, well, it might be it might be a good idea to do this, and they say, yeah, yeah, but that, <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't ask them to do it. Uh, so you. There are so many, so many possible misunderstandings, but the miracle is that we we uh, we communicate, uh, we stay in communication. Also at Windhorse, uh, we have uh, probably about ten percent, fifteen percent are non-Buddhists, non-Buddhist people who want to work at Windhorse because it's ethical, an ethical business, and uh, they they want to contribute. Uh, and it's really good, actually, to work in a, in a very kind of mixed environment like that. We're just people. We're just human uh, beings doing uh, uh, the best we can. And um, it's been difficult. The last few years, we used to make a lot of money. And uh, we used to be able to give a lot of money away. Um, so lots of projects in the movement have been funded by Windhorse. Are still funded partly by Wind Horse. Um, but uh, the e- economic climate has hit us hard. And uh, in a way, you wouldn't know that. You come in and the morale is so high. But there's disappointment because um, people would like to give money away. We, we earn money to give it away. Uh, money is energy, isn't it? Money is fluid, you know. It must be kind of uh, moved on. Um, So that is is a bit of a dream for some of us that we will, at some point, start making lots of money again and uh, we will be able to fund those projects that um, make such an important difference to our movement but actually can't raise funds very easily themselves. Um, This is probably touching on some some businesses uh, close to our hearts here and... uh, so, I work. What do I do there? Um, before I moved to Windhorse, I worked on the ordination team. And uh, I would have groups of men from Windhorse come and they would study with me. And uh, they would say, you know, at work, uh, this is a problem at work. What would you suggest we do? You know, and I'd say, oh, well, you might, you know, you might do this and you might do that. And then after a while, I thought maybe it would be a good idea for me to actually go and find out, you know, for myself. Um, so I was at Padmaloka. I was on the ordination team for um, six years, I think. And then I uh, moved over and started working at Windhorse. And the arrangement was that I wouldn't need to do anything. I just needed to be there. You know, I'd just be a kind of blessing just to be there. <laughs> <you know. laughs> and uh, those of you who know me might find that a bit strange. But no, it was. That was the arrangement. <laughs> and... Um, so I'd be in my community and the, the guys from my community would get back after a hard day's work at the warehouse and they would not want to talk. they just want to shower and unwind. And I, I, you know, I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to kind of communicate. And, uh, and after a while I thought it might be good for me to go in and, d- and actually do some work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Physical work. So I did. I, I, so I, I've been there nine years and I... Uh, Uh, I work in the goods in team. So you might have seen uh, on these wagons, these train wagons, you see these big containers, don't you? China, it says sometimes, or uh, um, I can't remember. the. That's right. And uh, we get these big containers coming to the warehouse, sometimes 20 foot, sometimes 40 foot. And uh, my team, there are uh, probably about six or seven of us, Slovakian, indian uh, irish mexican and english um and um we unload the containers now when i say this when we unload the containers people think that we sort of press a button and it all kind of it all comes off or it's in cages and somehow it's in boxes it's just single boxes and we take it off it's really really it's really really uh, labor intensive and um some of the boxes might say 25 kilos and they 35 kilos. That's a bit of a shock to the system on Monday morning, I can tell you. Um, and we work as a team. It's great, it's great fun, actually, uh, unloading containers, putting the, the products in the pick bays for the pickers to pick them and to send out to our shops. We have 20, 21 shops and to send them out to our customers too. We have a fleet of vans that goes and sells to businesses all over, small businesses. And uh, um, and some of those businesses, it's really lovely to go out. I've been out on the vans with some of the men. And uh, some of the people have been dealing with us for 20, 25 years. Um, so maybe it's a little it's a couple or a uh, family running a little gift shop. Sometimes uh in the middle of a city, sometimes there's a place on the uh near Loch Ness, a glass blowing uh place that sells our gifts. You go all over, all over the country and uh it's a very lovely relationship we have with our customers. Um, and you feel for them, you know, because in these struggling times in these really struggling economic times their livelihoods are at risk as ours is Um, so we're not in a kind of protective bubble at Windhorse we are we're kind of in the ocean with everybody else doing our best Um, yeah now I haven't looked at my notes so I, uh, I haven't started from where I was going to start I said to Articato, rather, that I might only talk for ten minutes. And famous last words, you might need the hook to pull me away. I'm going to put, put my glasses. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, I started off by wanting to thank you all for coming tonight, actually. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, I still mean that. <laughs> I, uh, I deeply appreciate it, actually. Uh, this place is important to me, but make no mistake, um, although the place is important, the place, in a way, uh, was built by the Sangha. The Sangha is important to me. When I left... When I left Manchester quite a few years ago, uh, I never... It wasn't the place, Manchester, I really ever loved. But the Sangha, the Sangha was hard to leave. The Manchester Sangha was hard to leave. I felt I'd got deep, deep connections with people here. And uh, I remember being at Padmaloka and um, just feeling really lonely. Uh, knowing that if I stayed there, I would I would develop friendship, but feeling uh, really uh, well the grief of uh, of missing the Sangha here, missing people who were so important to me, so part of my life, and I was so much part of their lo- their life. So um, when we were at Guru together, I was leading the course. Uh, Artivan was on the team there, looking so bronzed and healthy, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, we went for a walk, and I said, "Listen, uh, Antivon, uh, you know, I I think I'd like to I'd like to be a bit more involved, you know, in Manchester. I feel I missed that, you know." And then he raised the possibility, if the trustees and everybody were ha- was happy, he raised the possibility of me being president and uh, here. Uh, I still haven't quite figured out what that means, but um, <laughs> uh, being available, being. Uh, Uh, friendly I I think I can I've got a bit of a track record Um, so this place yeah this place is uh, so many memories there's a there's a poem isn't there by T.S. Eliot uh, and um, one of the lines of that is footfalls echo in the memory Uh, what might have been and what has been point to one end which is always present he talks about time past, time present. For me coming here, it's a little bit like the episode while I've been away has disappeared. Um, we had a meeting yesterday and uh, Art of said to me, welcome home. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I, feel, I feel that. It's good to have more than one home perhaps. <laughs> when, I was a, when I was a teenager... Uh, if you know anything about me, you know when I was a teenager, I had a, um, I had a kind of dream. Um, I remember at that time there were protests about the Vietnam War. Uh, have you heard of the Vietnam War? <laughs> and, uh, um, there was so much, um, there was so much kind of idealism around at that time. Naive idealism. I was, I, uh, I was brought up in a family where. Um, my dad had a strong feeling for social justice um, so that was kind of that was sort of imbued in me and uh, um, I had kind of heroes um, I wasn't always very discerning about my kind of my heroes and, uh, but the idea of revolution um, I got very, very interested in the Russian revolution and I uh, I dreamed about kind of I don't know Overthrowing something. I wasn't always quite sure what that was. Um, and in my in my dreams of uh, kind of revolution, I, uh, I dreamt that uh, uh, I would have comrades. You know, and we would stick together through thick and thin. At the time, it was kind of a band of brothers. Uh, it's extended, uh, but uh, it was a band of kind of brothers and. Uh, our because that was a bit problematic, it was a little bit vague. Uh, after a few pints, it didn't matter that it was so vague. But, um, and looking back, um, it was kind of, it was sort of naive. Uh, I wasn't interested in getting uh, rich. Um, I wanted the world to be a better, fairer place. I remember being at, um, at primary school and... Uh, I said to the teacher, uh, Rhodesia had just declared uh, UDI, and that w- that was wrong. You know, I, I I I said to the teacher, but that is wrong. Uh, um, so again, not very not very kind of uh, articulated, uh, but I wanted the I wanted the world to be a better, fairer place. And I, if I look back over my life, the thirty years it, this year, it's thirty years since I met. Uh, the Dharma I find in essence I'm still true to that dream Um, Bhante was asked not that long ago what he would like to be remembered for and uh, it's a little bit like the question surprises him Um, and he said oh what to be remembered for and then he said uh, what I would like to be remembered for is the work I did Um, with the untouchables in India in the 40s and 50s. Uh, As you probably know, a lot of uh, Dalits, a lot of former untouchables converted to Buddhism. Uh, Bhante uh, helped them kind of understand what that was. The great leader, Dr. Ambedkar, died a few weeks after the mass conversions. And uh, he talked about a peaceful revolution, so revolution is still there in my life. And I like the word revolution, this turning round. The Dharma turns everything on its head uh, for me. And, um, so a revolution in consciousness, a movement from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. One of the first practices I was taught was the metabalvana. And the metabalvana, um the more I practice, the more I see the profundity of that practice. Um, I remember reading uh, one of the recent papers about reimagining the Buddha. And Subruji says um, in that paper that one of the... the only real basis for ethics is empathy. The sense that uh, you, you see, you feel the life in other beings and other things. And uh, one of the practices I like to do in Cambridge uh, is sitting in Nero's. Um, And I like to sit by the big window in Nero's and I just look out the window, I just watch people. And it's a real practice in in kind of feeling, a real practice in trying to kind of develop empathy. Empathy. And you see the whole range of humanity. You see people rushing. You see uh, people muttering to themselves. You see old people struggling. You see young people kind of just intoxicated with that sense of being young, you know. And uh, you see the whole of humanity. And for a moment, there's that sense of my life and their life. And that... That's kind of essential, I think. That is uh, that is so important. If you have that sense, if I have that sense, I cannot... Um, I cannot kind of manipulate, I cannot uh, take, I cannot kind of grasp um, because the identity is so strong and there's a lot of work. I, must, I Just let me make that clear. There's a lot of work, a lot more trips to Nero's <laughs> before... You know, uh, I I fully see that. But for me, the path, the path is one of love. The path is uh, one of uh, metta. Metta is perhaps our strongest insight practice. And uh, if you have an insight into anatta, into non-self, what that looks like, what that feels like is metta. What that feels like is strong... Loving kindness, uh, strong identity for other living beings. I really, I really believe that. Um, and I'm deeply grateful to Bante and so many others. I've got uh, Ratnaguna sitting in the back, and without Ratnaguna, I might not be here. Um, I remember years ago I was in Bristol; that's where I made contact, and I was thinking of going to Leeds, and uh, Ratnaguna said, do go to Leeds. <laughs> Come to Manchester." And, uh, and I took over as mitricanviner, men's mitral convener from Ratnaguna. and then I took over as chairman from Rantaguna. Uh he's always giving me things to uh, to do uh, uh, probably been very very good for me in April I'll be 59 and uh, no gas- gasps of surprise uh, <laughs> oh, too late too late surely not <laughs> I don't know how that has happened um, it sort of snuck up on me I think and uh, I found the Dharma when I was uh, 28 so uh, one of the lovely things about the Sangha is that uh, if you keep practicing together you uh, you get old together you know <laughs> You mature together. And I was recently at a college meeting of public preceptors. This is when the public preceptors get together. And um, it can feel a bit like I'm with my aunties and my uncles because they're a different generation to me. Um, and they're such good people. Men and women who've dedicated their lives to uh, the Dharma for decades. And they're still revolutionaries. Sometimes they they, they look so kind of... Um, Harmless, but they're not harmless. So I'm in Cambridge. I'm working in a warehouse. I can't get away from warehouses. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just for, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this to a, a close but just by mentioning something else I've mentioned haven't I the importance of creating contacts uh, we need to come together uh, wherever we can uh, some of you might choose to live together if you uh, if you're not going to live together uh, if you could work together if you can't work together be, take those opportunities for coming together with the Sangha as much as you can Um, one of the things we're trying to work on in Cambridge uh, at the moment is uh, a distinction some people talk about uh, part-time and full-time Buddhists so they think um, uh, some of the um, uh, married guys I I spend time with in Cambridge think of themselves as the part-time Buddhists and they think of us as the full-time Buddhists Rules, and uh, uh, and we tend to think of the full time Buddhists as people who live at retreat centres, and they think of the full time Buddhists as, you know, and uh, one of the things we're we're trying to get uh, get over is that essentially, um, whatever your context, context is important. Essentially, the important thing is working on your mind, and uh, the mind being here. Sorry, the mind being uh, the heart. And you can do that in any kind of situation. Um, from a certain point of view, uh, there, are no, there are no full-time Buddhists. Uh, we're all part-time Buddhists. Maybe only the, only the Buddhas are full-time Buddhists. Only the Buddhas have those, those states of mind uh, that gone completely kind of beyond um i know with me i feel a bit like uh, one of these creatures that has crawled out <laughs> wasn't lay i too thick crawled out of the ocean and i feel the pull of the ocean sometimes i feel the pull of my habits and my my old habits and my instincts i'm trying to crawl up the uh, maybe i'll leave that uh, <laughs> uh metaphor And friendship is a key thing, I think. Uh, whatever your context, um, whatever your kind of your living situation, uh, friendship coming together with spiritual friends as often as you can taking advantage of those meetings as often as you can. It's been the guiding light of my life, and um, for me, it shines really strongly. If I'm involved in context, if I'm involved with a project with other people, whatever, that is a project that is uh, about taking ourselves beyond ourselves, self-forgetting. Um, it leads to happiness. It's a by- happiness is a byproduct of that. I think. So anyway, this is how I figure I will approach being your president. Um, my, my community keep calling me Mr. President. I've got a liking for it, actually. Um, the NBC, as I say, is a project dear to my heart. My blood, literally, as well as metaphorically, is in the walls here. Uh, as, And I'm not alone in that. I want to be involved in this project uh, with you and projects are always about people this this wonderful thing uh, human beings this mysterious thing a human being working uh, together um, sometimes I may be able to offer a fresh take on things but what I'm really interested in doing is helping you to find your own fresh take on things um, When Bhante Sangharakshita opened the centre, as I say, after so many delays, um, he said that uh, we should be proud of our centre, but we shouldn't stay in it. Uh, We should reach out. We should reach out to the people in Manchester and uh, beyond. Never forget that. I met with Maheshraddha for lunch today and he said, uh, there's something about never forgetting the first noble truth. Uh, I'm happier now, my life is more meaningful than it's ever been, but there are people not in my situation, I must never forget that. Um, I want to finish by telling you one more thing that Bhante said, when he was talking about the Bodhisattva spirit, and this has become a little, uh, not motto, motto makes it sound too uh, (coughs) superficial, this has become something to steer my own life by, uh, for him, the Bodhisattva spirit was was um, uh, encapsulated by this phrase. And he said, um, I will put no limit on what I am prepared to do when I am ready and the time is ripe for other living beings. So I'll just read that out again. I will put no limit on what I am prepared to do when I am ready and the time is ripe for other living beings. Thank you.